0: John 14, verse 20. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, that's Jude, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now Jesus is walking with his disciples from the upper room, late at night down to Kidron Valley, a little winding road that heads down the Kidron Valley up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's giving them some last minute instructions, words of comfort and words of encouragement. It's just like our Lord. In just a few hours, he's gonna be executed by the most horrible means of execution known to man. He's thinking only of them and he gives them some of the most profound and wonderful promises found anywhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, you'll find in chapters 14, 15, and 16 some of the most wonderful promises ever made to any man. Now I want to read verse 21 again because really it is the text of this sermon. He who has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, I, I like the Williams translation of this verse 21 because he comes down to this little phrase, and will disclose myself to him, and the Williams, translates, Williams translation has it and I will make myself real to him. I'm fascinated by that translation. And I will make myself real to him. If I were to poll this congregation this morning and ask you how many of you believe Jesus or believe in Jesus? And do you really believe that He lives in your heart? And do you know that you've been saved? I'm sure that the vast majority of us would answer in the affirmative. Yes, we believe in Jesus, and we really believe He lives in my life. But to those of you who answered in the affirmative, I have a follow-up question. To how many of you is Jesus really real? I mean, as real as the person sitting next to you. You see, there is a difference in disclosure here. And that was what Judas, not Iscariot, Jude, was concerned about. He said, how is it that you're going to come and disclose yourself to us? That is, they already knew him. But there is a higher disclosure, you see. And there is a difference between just believing Jesus and believing in him and believing that he lives in your heart and, and really knowing Him and and He being really real to you. How many of you this morning can honestly say that Jesus is as real to me as the person sitting beside To the vast majority of Christians, listen to me now, to the vast majority of Christians, Jesus is not real. Now that word disclose is a significant word it means to present oneself in a clear and conspicuous manner. And what Jesus is saying is this that I'm going to come to certain ones and I'm going to present myself clearly to them. I found that for some Christians, they have this fuzzy concept or ideal about Jesus, it's distorted and blurred. It's kind of like taking this, your, you know, your film down to have it developed, and, and you get one of those pictures where somebody's moved the camera and it's all blurred and distorted and, and fuzzy. And you know who it is. I mean, you can see the form and you know who is in the picture, but you can't tell any of the details there because it's so fuzzy and distorted. Now, now you know Jesus. I mean, you believe in him. but. I mean, the image of him is unclear and, and it's distorted and blurred. I mean, he's, he doesn't present himself to you in a clear manner. Not only he says, Do I, Am I going to come and present myself in a clear manner, but in a conspicuous manner. You ever gone to bed at night and you're just bone tired? And just about time you're ready to drop off to sleep, you hear it. That drip, drip, drip. And you think to yourself, now, I'm just going to ignore that, but you can't, you know. And you think to yourself, well, I'll wait and she'll get up and turn it off, but she doesn't. What is the most conspicuous thing in that room while you're lying there? Your bone-tired body that needs to sleep? No. It's that drip, drip, drip. And whatever is the most conspicuous thing in your life is what captures you and enslaves you. And Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to disclose myself in a, in a manner that is more conspicuous than anything in your life. And I'll be more conspicuous to you than, any, than houses and lands and cars. and and affections, and loves, and some pleasure, and and I'm gonna be so conspicuous to you that I will capture you and enslave you. I ask you again this morning, is that that true in your experience? Wouldn't you love to have that? And I remember reading for the first time that statement that R.W. Dale, the great theologian from Birmingham, England made, The the night before Easter when he was going over his Easter sermon and he said, all of a sudden, Jesus invaded my study and he was more real to me. He wrote it down. He said, he's more real to me than this chair. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to stand someday and say that and be honest about it. And I read such statements as Margaret Clarkson made, the great poet and minister to single adults. Listen to what she said. The companionship of Jesus is no myth. He's the first person I speak to in the morning and the last one at night. Many days, he's the only one with whom I may talk all day. I try not to have too many days of such isolation, but sometimes they're inevitable. These hours, however, are usually very happy. We don't talk only of spiritual things, he and I, although that's part of each day's fellowship. We keep a running fellowship all day long. Whatever I may be doing, I'm constantly needing his help with this undertaking, or with that habit, or this attitude, or, or, and he's always available. He helps me with such particulars as reminding me that I left the iron on, or that I should run an errand, or make a phone call, or by jogging my memory of where I set something like, like my glasses. Together we enjoy the beautiful things with which he has filled my life, fine music, the soft feel of a furry body, the soft amber evening sky, the friendliness of a cracking fire on an autumn night. My heart is continually reaching up to him in praise and gratitude. He fills it with himself. This is the relationship that I have with Jesus. I have hours of loneliness, but in so much as I give myself to him, he gives himself to me. I don't know all the answers of human loneliness, but I do know one. The daily, hourly, moment-by-moment practice of the presence of Jesus. Don't you wish you could say that and be honest about it? Isn't it amazing? What Jesus is talking about here is something that he has to do himself. Now I know what some people say, they say I want Jesus to be real to me and so I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna start reading my Bible more, I'm gonna get into Bible study and I'm gonna get me some books about Jesus, I'm gonna learn all I can about him and I'm gonna start to work and get back in church and I'm gonna make Jesus real to me, it doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus is of such nature that he can Withhold that disclosure, and he sometimes does. As a matter of fact, there is just a certain class of people with whom Jesus discloses himself or makes himself real. You say, Well, how does he do it? Well, not like you think, probably. Not like you think. Most of the time we think that when Jesus makes himself real, it'll be in some great cataclysmic experience and all of a sudden there'll be flashing lights and there'll be some revival type experiences and that's what was questioning Judas, not as scary as what, what Jude was wrestling with and he said to Jesus, how are you gonna do that? And the world not know it and Jesus' answer was something like this. He said, well, it's because it's not gonna be an outward disclosure. It's not going to be an external disclosure. It's going to be an internal knowing. It's going to be an internal manifestation. And I don't know how it happens, but I do know it happens that all of a sudden, sometime on the inside of a man, he suddenly is aware of the presence of Jesus in reality. And he no longer prays at Jesus. He prays with him. And he no longer knows him just as he reads about him. He knows him in a personal way. And he says, if you do something, if if you do something, Jesus will make himself real to you. You say, well, what is the condition? Well, the condition is in verse 21. Let's read it again. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. You say, well, I thought he already loves us. Yes, but there's a new dimension of love. That's what he's talking about. It's obvious in the New Testament that Jesus did not have favorites, but he did have intimates. Even among his disciples he had intimates, so that there was always Peter and James and John on the inner circle of fellowship with Jesus. Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. You say, well, what about Romans 8? It says that you're never outside the love of God. Yes, but he's talking about that higher dimension of love, that new dimension of love that we all long to experience. How does that happen, that Jesus makes himself real to us? Well, here's the answer. Just by plain, old, ordinary Day by day, garden variety, obedience on your part and mine. I'd like to tell you, That the way Jesus makes himself real is by some great, wonderful experience. That's not the way it happens. The way Jesus makes himself real to you is when you become daily obedient to him in the non-glamorous, non-exciting, dull, day-by-day, monotonous, continuous obedience to Jesus Christ. He who has my commandments and keeps them Now, there are two conditions of that obedience. We possess his commandments, and we practice them. He who has my commandments. Now, sometimes we talk about obedience in the sense that it's keeping his commandments, but prior to the keeping of the commandments, there is the having of them. And the word means to have a firm grip on. It means to possess His commandments. There are two ways to possess His commandments. You you can possess them in this book. That is, you can know all about them. You can memorize them. You You can quote them. You can have them in this book. You can have them in your mind. But there is another way to possess His commandments, and that is to have them in your heart. Internalize them. So that they become what you are, and you become what they are. So that if someone describes, is going to describe your life, he describes it in terms of his commandments. Frank Pollard told about driving down the highway one day, he saw this guy hitchhiking, young guy. And he said, he pulled over to let him have a ride. He said, I just felt led. I don't always give people a ride. He said, I let him, you know, have a ride. He says, we, as soon as he got in, he says, kind of hippie looking guy, he said, he started, every word out of his mouth was a profane word. And he said, they drove along for a little while and said, finally, the guy looked over at him and said, what do you do? He said, well, I'm just about to tell you. So I'm a minister. Said, the guy said, you know, ooh, you know, kind of. He said, I'd like to, Frank Paul said, I'd like to share with you about Jesus Christ. I'd like to tell you about how to become a Christian. The guy said, "Well, well, I am a Christian. He said, well, you couldn't prove it by me. He said, yeah, he said, I took Jesus as my Savior when I was a little boy. And Frank Pollard said, it's hard for me to believe that you could take Jesus without taking his tongue. And it's hard for me to believe that you could take Jesus without taking his mind. And it's hard for me to believe that you could take Jesus without taking his will. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that you could take Jesus and not take what Jesus is and what He stands for. Now let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a point of time in your life where you said, Okay, Lord, I accept Your commandments as the standard of my life and the boundaries that will surround everything I do. You have His commandments. Possess them and you practice them. The word means to to keep an eye on or to guard. And you say, well, now aren't you talking about legalism when you talk about keeping the commandments? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having His commandments as a way of life and then practicing them. And I've used this illustration before, but it's a good time to use it again. It's It's like a highway sign, His commandments. So you're traveling down the highway and you're watching the signs. And if the sign says, take a left, you take a left. You know where you want to go, you know where you want to wind up, so you follow those highway signs. It says, you know, proceed straight through you, this city, you do that, take a right, you take a right. What, what Jesus is saying is that if a person has my commandments and keeps them, it's like this that the commandments appear on the highway of life. And when his commandment says stop, you stop. And when his commandment says turn right, you turn right. And when his commandment says turn left, you turn left, and you live in obedience, keeping an eye on his commandments. In fact, there is one translation that has it cherish. And if you cherish something, you, 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 pers- you guard it. Now, let me make this statement. I want you to hear this if you hear nothing else. The reason why Jesus is no longer making himself real to you is because somewhere back there you stopped obeying him. And if you go back to the place where you stopped obeying Him, to the moment, to the place, to the time where you became disobedient to God for the first time and you go back to that and start there being obedient, He'll start making Himself real. Now I've seen people who have, serve the Lord and they get out of fellowship and they drift away and they get out of the will of God and then they want to come back and get back in church and start again and they wonder why it's not any better than when they quit. It's because you got to go back to the point where you started being disobedient and start there being obedient. And that's why... In his marvelous book, Jack Taylor's marvelous book, The Much More of the Christian Life, he gives that illustration in the sixth chapter of 2 Kings where the sons of the prophets went out to build themselves some houses, some, some places of dwelling, and one of them was chopping with a borrowed axe, and the axe head came off and fell in the river. And he went to Elisha, and he said, Oh, prophet of God, I've lost the axe head. And, and he said, Well, let's go back to the place where you lost it, to find it. What have you lost? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your power? Have you lost your burden for the lost people of this community? Have you lost your witness? Have you lost your zeal for God and love for His Word? Have you lost your enthusiasm? then let's go back to the place where you lost it. That's the place to go. And Vance Havana says, many of the Lord's workmen today have lost the ax head of power. They've lost the joy of salvation. Sound like anybody you know? They've lost the joy of salvation. They've not, the upholding of God's spirit, the lost ax head of the spirit unction has fallen into the waters of worldliness, ponds of indifference, swamps of sluggishness. They have ability, training, sincerity, earnestness, but they are chopping with a handle. What have you lost? Now it's not difficult for us to admit that we've lost, but we balk when it comes to being led back to the place to become obedient where we first became disobedient. And we all know what that is. While I'm talking this morning, right here, in every mind there's going through your mind, you know exactly where it all started. You probably can name the very thing where you balked at obedience. And that's when God stopped making himself real back to the place where we lost it i love that statement in john's epistle where he says that the commandments of the lord are not grievous the word literally means not burdensome it's a matter of the way you look at it you see let let me ask you to look at the commandments of the lord like this The commandments of the Lord are just a promise of a new glimpse of Jesus. So this is what the Lord says. You want a new glimpse of me? Then here's another commandment for you to obey. I want you to have a new glimpse of me. So here's a new commandment. You'll be obedient to that and you'll get a new glimpse of me. I want you to have a touch of me that you've not experienced of me. Here's a commandment. You obey this commandment and you get a new touch of me. Haven't you found that true in your own experience? Really? That as you start being obedient to God at the point of your disobedience, just as you start being obedient to his commandments, they become occasions of a new vision of the Lord. Now, I'm not a mystic, but when I read statements like John Killinger makes, I believe them. John Killinger is a Southern Baptist. He's a a teacher of preaching and theology at Samford, S-A-M-F-O-R-D, Samford University, a Baptist school down in Georgia. He's a prolific, wonderful writer on the same level tie as C.S. Lewis. John Killinger tells about one of his dear friends who whose body was riddled with cancer and she was dying. And he said she was lying in a hospital bed one day and a nurse came walking in. And he said I, that the woman, a profound Christian, couldn't tell if, she, if the nurse was male or female. She, she had on a, a, a turban type. Um, piece of clothing or apparel and he said she had this or he had this angelic face and he said he came over to my body to where I was on the bed and he began to rub and massage my body and he said she said as he massaged my body I began to feel so wonderfully well good and the nurse left. He said, in a little bit, some nurses came in, dressed as nurses dress, you know, and said, this friend said, what, what about that nurse that was just in here dressed in that turban? And, and the nurse said, there's nobody like that works here. And he said, my friend started getting well and she got well. And he said one day she was speaking to a group of Christians at a meeting of women. And he said while she was up speaking, he said this person walked in and sat down on the back row and smiled at my friend. And she said, I I was speaking and I was having eye contact with others and said when I looked up, the person was gone. And she's never seen her since. And it's been 10 years that she has lived a well, a healthy life. And the woman says to John Killinger. now people can laugh and mock and scoff if they desire, but that was the Lord. He's no dead fact stranded on the shores of the oblivious years but warm, sweet, tender even yet for love still has its Galilee and faith its Olivet. The healing of His seamless dress is by our beds of pain and we touch Him in the throng and press, and we are whole again. And the question this morning is really not, is the Lord real to you? The question, the larger question, listen, is this. Where or when did you stop being obedient to? Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that You'll disclose again to us that point of where we have said no, where we've rebelled, where we have resisted. Take us by the hand and convey us back to the point in life where we had choice to make. We made the wrong choice. Convey us to that place where you told us to do something and we said, no, I will not. Where you let down sheets of unclean and said, take and eat. And we said, not so, Lord. Lord. And let us start there to be obedient so that you can come to us in a clear and conspicuous manner and meet our need, heal our heart, purge our sin. For I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake.